Hello, and welcome to Dr. Who Panel to Panel. This is Jeremy Bument, your host, welcoming you to episode 139 of Dr. Who Panel to Panel. Let me first start off by saying or apologizing for the fact that I might sound kind of rough. I am fighting a bad cold at the moment. It's not COVID, thank goodness. I've had that once. I don't want to have it again. Um, but I do have a scratchy throat and a stuffed up head, so my chatting might be a little bit less than normal this time around, which is probably a blessing to those of you out there who get tired of listening to me. Anyway, uh, moving on, in this episode of Panel to Panel, we will do like we normally do. We will cover the news, see what new Doctor Who comic news is out there, and then we will open the Pandorica on a couple fairly new releases. In fact, it's something I just got this week. I got in the Galaxy 4 animated Blu-ray disc, and I also got in the complete Tom Baker Season 6 over here in the States, uh, which included the uh, new version of Shada, as if we needed another one. However, uh, this one was really good, so I'm going to uh, do a review of those two items. And then we will go into The Matrix and take a look at a book that I just pulled off my shelf and read the two stories in last night. This is the Doctor Who 1996 yearbook, or the annual if you want to look at it as that, from Marvel Comics. Back in the day, I have one of the hardcover ones that came out, but there was a couple uh, comic book stories in there, or comic strips in there, that were sequels to classic Doctor Who comic strips. Uh, Star Beast 2 and Junkyard Demon 2 were both in this book, and I don't think I've ever reviewed those, although I know I've read the stories before, but we're going to do a quick review of those in uh, Into the Matrix. And then for our featured interview, I had a chance a little while ago to chat with Matt Savile-Cole, who uh, Matt is the co-host of the all-new Doctor Who Book Club podcast, and he's also a fellow uh, Doctor Who fan from here in Minnesota. And we had a chance to chat just about Doctor Who and books and comics and fandom here in Minnesota. So I think it was a, it was a fun chat. I had a great time chatting with Matt, and I think you'll enjoy it as well. So that will be this episode. So, with all that chatting out of the way, let's go into this episode and start out by checking out the news. In Doctor Who comic news for this episode of Panel to Panel, let's start out like we always do by checking out the new releases. Uh, we're going to take a quick look at the month of March, because we just started in April and nothing new has come out in April. But uh, back on Thursday, March 3rd, Doctor Who magazine issue number 575 came out over in the UK as well as digitally. And that was followed the following week, uh, Wednesday, March 9th, Doctor Who magazine, the physical hard copy of issue number 571 came out in comic book shops. I'm not sure. I don't really keep track of the bookstore uh, releases as they come out here in the States, but uh, that could be uh, a book uh, bookstore, one like Barnes & Noble's as well. But then the rest of the month, it was rather quiet until we get to uh, just last week on Thursday, the 31st of March, the very last day of March, Doctor Who magazine number 576 came out over in the UK as well as digitally. And that one was a good issue. Um, I'm saying that because I got mentioned as well as got my picture in the magazine. Uh, the, the article that Jamie Lenman has been doing about collectors in Doctor Who magazine, he put out a call a month ago for people that collect Doctor Who comic strips. And I figured, hey, I have a podcast all about Doctor Who comics, so I think I kind of qualify. 
So there's a really good uh, article in Doctor Who magazine this month about Doctor Who comic strips and people that collect Doctor Who comic books. And uh, I was mentioned as well as several other collectors and a friend of the show, Paul Schoons, got mentioned as well. So I highly recommend that issue in particular. And uh, it was a good one. So those are the new releases for Doctor Who uh, comic-related stuff. I also have just put up the new listings in the April previews catalog up on my website, which is DoctorWhoComics.com. So if you want to see what new uh, Doctor Who comic-related items will be coming out in about two months' time, make sure you check out DoctorWhoComics.com so you can see what's available, see the listings, and let your local comic shop know what you want to order or have them save for you. Outside of that, it's been rather quiet in Doctor Who comic news. We have Free Comic Book Day coming up in about a month, the first Saturday of May. So make sure you go to your local comic book shop and get your free Doctor Who comic. And uh, we will have a mini-series spinning off of that coming out later on this year. And also the Doctor Who special from Dan Slott and uh, Matthew Dow Smith and Christopher Jones will be coming out here sometime shortly. Uh, apparently the date is kind of fluctuating as to when it's going to be coming out. It might be a little bit behind schedule as far as I know. So uh, just keep listening, keep checking out uh, wherever you find out what comics, when comics are coming out, which new stuff is coming out when. And uh, make sure you also check out DrWhoComics.com and I'll try to keep you up to date on that as well. So that was a quick ramble on the news. Now let's go into some reviews. It is time once again to open the Pandorica on a current Doctor Who comic or comic-related release. And this time around, we're going to cover a couple DVD releases or Blu-ray releases. The first thing I want to check out is the Doctor Who Galaxy 4 Blu-ray release, which I just got this week and I had the pleasure of watching. Um, I'm not going to give you a plot synopsis of Galaxy 4 because it's been around for quite a while and you should be able to find that for yourself. Um, I'm just going to give you a review of the the package as a whole of what the Blu-ray has. Um, primarily the animation. The, the Gary Russell and crew uh, did I, what I thought was an excellent job of recreating Galaxy 4 and doing an animated version of it using the uh, existing audio tracks of the episode and putting together what I thought was a good story. Um, I know as far as the story goes, a lot of people kind of aren't big fans of the Galaxy 4 story. I personally liked it. Um, I I listened to the Galaxy 4 story on audio many, many years ago, and I enjoyed it. I thought it was a good story. Um, granted, it's kind of a, a simplistic story, but at the same time, I thought it was pulled off well, and um, I, I liked the, the characters and the, the two different races in uh, the, the story. And animation-wise, I thought the animation was very well done. Um, what I liked about the animation style is that the characters themselves kind of reminded me of 1960s Doctor Who comic strip art. Um, they seemed more fitting that era than present day. Uh, they kind of had that look of kind of skinny arms, skinny legs, almost like, uh, kind of reminded me of Dapol action, Doctor Who action figures that had the uh, kind of a straight body uh, torso and straight arms, straight legs. And it very much reminded me of 1960s Doctor Who comic strip art, which 
I kind of enjoyed that that novelty and that feeling of it put me back into that era. And that made me enjoy Galaxy 4 quite a bit. Uh, I thought the, the animation uh, was very well done. Uh, and I enjoyed the story. The extras that are on the Blu-ray are very interesting to watch as well. Um, I haven't had a chance to listen to the commentaries yet. But uh, it was very nice. The only, the only complaint I would say is that all the other animated uh, releases that have come out up to this point, I have bought on just regular DVD because, to me, the the differentiation between regular DVD and Blu-ray as far as animation goes on a TV um, doesn't make that much of a difference, so I'll go with the, the less expensive version. This time around with Galaxy 4, and I'm assuming when Abominable Snowmen comes out, they're just doing Blu-ray releases and not standard DVD releases, which I was kind of disappointed about. Mainly because the Blu-ray case doesn't match up with all my other DVD cases, and it messes up my my look of those spines on my shelf, which I'm kind of nitpicky about that. But I guess otherwise, uh, it was a good release, and I really enjoyed it. The other Blu-ray release that I got this week was the complete, or Tom Baker complete season six over here in the states, um, which is the one that includes the animated version of Shada. Actually, includes three animated versions of Shada. They've included um, a brand new Shada, which uh, has all six episodes with newly enhanced animation to fill in the gaps. But they've also included the 1992 VHS uh, version of Shadow, which isn't really animated. Um, but they also did the 2017 DVD version of Shadow. Um, so first thing I did was I put in the, the new version of Shadow and watched that. And out of all the different versions of Shadow that have come out, I think I enjoyed this one the most. It did an excellent job of combining the the regular what was filmed the actual studio footage as well as the animation uh from the animated series or the animated release of shada it was a very nice blend of the two going from live action to animation and back and forth and surprisingly enough as much as i thought going from live action to animation and back and forth would take me out of the story it didn't i flowed right along with the story with no problem on that front. The the updated animation I thought looked looked amazing. And like I was just telling you about how Galaxy 4 had that look that took me back to the 60s. The animation for Shada is more like present day animation. More realistic. More flowing. And uh, lifelike for lack of a better term. And it continued that way in Shada throughout and that also helped to not make it a, as big of a jarring uh, change from going from live action to animation back and forth through this story. I liked it. I, I really enjoyed watching it. I do think it's probably the definitive version of Shada. They definitely don't need to really come out with another version of Shada anytime soon. And if you have a chance to pick up the, the Blu-ray set for this season, make sure you watch the new version of Shada. Um, I, I liked it. Two big thumbs up for me. So there you go. A couple re, uh, reviews of current 
animated releases. You will be deleted. It is time to go into the Matrix, and this time around, we're going to take a look at two classic Doctor Who comic strips, mainly because they were both in the same book, and they are both very short stories. I wasn't feeling all that great this past week. I'm fighting a cold, as you can probably tell by the sound of my voice and me sniffling. But uh, I grabbed the 1996 uh, Doctor Who yearbook off of my shelf. This is the original one. I remember buying this at my local comic book shop at the time. Um, And there were two... I enjoyed this annual quite a bit, just because it did a lot of giving you stats for all the classic series, all the the classic Doctor Who seasons, but also had two really good comic strips in it. Um, these strips have been reprinted in the Panini graphic novels. Forgive me, effort. I didn't have a chance to find which ones they are in, but I can guarantee you I know they've been reprinted. Um, the first strip we're going to look at is uh, a sequel to The Star Beast, which is a classic fourth Doctor comic strip featuring Beep the Meep, this is Star Beast 2. It is uh, a strip that was written by Gary Gillett. From what I remember when I chatted with Gary Gillett, this is the only fictional story he's ever written. Um, but it has art by Martin Garrity, with coloring by Paul Visey, letters by Alita Fell, and Scott Gray was the editor on it. And to give you just a really quick synopsis, considering it's an eight-page story, I'll tell you what it says uh, right here in the table of contents. Beep the Meep is out of jail, and he wants his Black Star drive back. That's basically it. Um, Beep the Meep in the story gets put out on parole. He's been let go due to uh, being a good boy, but he's still evil as can be, and he gets his uh, laser pistol back, and he gets his spaceship back, and he wants to go get his Black Star drive and um, use the Black Star drive to take over the minds of people. And meanwhile, the fourth Doctor shows up um, in uh, Black Castle back in 1995, and that's where, coincidentally enough, the Black Star Drive that Beep the Meep needs is located. <clears throat> Beep the Meep ends up running into the fourth Doctor. He also gets his uh, Black Star Drive back, but the fourth Doctor, along with a uh, uh, person who the Doctor has run into before, uh, known as Fudge, um, which, forgive my, my horrible uh, memory, I do not remember Fudge. But anyway, the Doctor is able to rewire the Black Star Drive to capture the Beep the Meep, and um, he's going to end up taking him back to the the uh, prison where he was at. Um, story-wise, I thought this story was fun, just because I remember the, the Star Beast story from classic Doctor Who days, you know, Dave Gibbons' art. Um, seeing Beep the Meep again back in 1995 was uh, was entertaining. Just It's a good, fun little story. It's a nice sequel story to that. And uh, Martin Garrity's artwork is a, is excellent in this story. Um, it was, at this point in time, uh, Doctor Who comic strip was not in color, so seeing a, a comic strip in color in the, in the yearbook was very uh, neat and novel and something... Uh, which made it just a little extra oomph, a little extra pleasure in reading this story. And what else can I say? It was a fun little uh, fun little story. I like fun little stories. Speaking of which, Junkyard Demon 2 is the other story that is in this book. 
It, of course, is a follow-up to Junkyard Demon, the classic Cybermen story from the early days of Doctor Who magazine. This little story was written by Alan Barnes, with art by Adrian Salmon. You can't go wrong with AIDS artwork. Uh, lettering by Perry Godbold, and Scott Reed was the editor. <clears throat> to give you a little synopsis for Junkyard Demon 2, Flotsam and Jetsam have set themselves up with a nice second-hand business until Joy Love McShane decides it's time for a hostile takeover. And there you go. There's the premise of this story. The uh, Flotsam and Jetsam are two characters that we have seen before in Doctor Who magazine and the comic strip. And they're basically just kind of... They've taken what they thought were just robots and they're trying to reprogram them to be servants. But what they don't realize is that these robots are actually Cybermen. And um, while they're doing this, this Joy Love McShane, who I remember back when I was reading this strip, I always wondered if Joy Love McShane was some distant relative of Ace or Dorothy McShane, just because they had the same last name. Highly doubt it, but it's, uh, it's something I always wondered. Anyway, uh, Joy Love McShane comes along with his uh, business associate, Stinker, who is a big Frankenstein-like monster. And they've come to do, like the I just told you, a hostile takeover of this junkyard. Um, meanwhile, the fourth doctor shows up as well. And as the you find out, like I just said, they were trying to reprogram these robots, which are actually Cybermen. And the, the Cybermen are kind of come to and um, start taking over the junkyard. Meanwhile, the doctor uh, is able to use a... Uh, a little robot called uh, uh, Dutch to um, use him to kind of help reprogram the Cybermen, kind of reprogram their collective consciousness and turn them into uh, kind of helpless uh, nothings that uh, are not going to uh, cause any harm or you know try to take over the galaxy. Once again, a fun little story. Um, I thought Alan Barnes did a good job here of uh, kind of doing a nice little sequel to Junkyard Demon. Adrian Salmon's artwork is spot on in the story. Once again, having the colors added, uh, which was something that we didn't see back in those days in the, the Doctor Who comic strip on a monthly basis. That was entertaining as well. And um, both are fun stories. Like I said, they've been reprinted in the Panini Graphic Novel Collections. Um, I don't remember exactly which one, but make sure you see them out and read them. If you are like me, like good, fun, little, simple stories, these were fun ones. Excellent artwork. Uh, don't miss them. Exterminate! Today on Doctor Who Panel the Panel, I have the pleasure of chatting with fellow podcaster, fellow Minnesotan, Matt Savicole. Matt, how are you doing today? Doing well, Jeremy. How, how about yourself? Uh, not too bad. Uh, you and I are both up here enjoying the cold Minnesota weather, but hopefully it's going to turn the corner here in the uh, next week. So, Yeah, I'm looking forward to a spring thaw. It's been <laughs> kind of a chilly winter. So, Yeah, yeah, definitely. We've had our, more than our fair share of uh, negative uh, or below zero days. So, um, yeah, you're a fellow podcaster. You are co-host of the all-new Doctor Who Book Club uh, podcast. How did yeah. you get involved in doing that? Well, funny story. So the, there was an original Doctor Who book club podcast that was uh, on the air from, I want to say, 2011 to 2016 or so. Okay. And when that was ending, 
they put out a call just to see if there was anyone interested in taking over the show. And I was the first person to respond. And my co-host, Chris, was the second person to respond. So okay. we uh, inherited it from there. Um, the format of the show is a little bit different than the original. Um, we used to – the original book club podcast would review – I think they had like a four-book cycle where it was uh, – like a new adventure, missing adventure, eighth doctor adventure, past doctor adventure. Okay. So they were very much kind of sticking to the seventh and eighth doctor ranges, uh, which is great because there's a lot of, you know, books for those particular doctors. Oh, definitely. But when uh, Chris and I took over the reins, we decided to kind of expand the remit and branch out a little bit. So we now kind of have a full 13 doctor cycle where we try and, pick one book from each doctor and work our way through the cycle. And we're currently halfway through cycle four okay. of, of that. So uh, it's going pretty well. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. I know, I know I enjoy listening to your podcast. Um, every once in a while you throw in a, a doctor who comic story, if it's been collected into like a graphic novel. Um, and in my background uh, at one point in time, I owned all the, the doctor who books. I had all the target novelizations, I had all the the new adventures, all the past adventures, all the Eighth Doctor, all the the, the BBC Past Doctor books. I had a, a big collection of those, and I had read the vast <clears throat> excuse me the vast majority of those. So I I enjoy listening to your podcast because it's kind of a refresher for me when whatever book you pick out, if it's in those ranges, it's something that I go I can go. Do I remember that one? Uh, maybe <laughs> not entirely, so I can listen to your synopsis of of what happens in that book. And uh, it's it's nice to kind of refresh my memory and remember whether or not I liked the book or not, what I did like, what I didn't like, that kind of thing. Uh, did did you start out as being a collector of the Doctor Who books, or are you just a, a book collector in general? Uh, so, funny story. I started out uh, – I, I became a Doctor Who fan with the Paul McGann TV movie in 96. So, I had kind of grown up on Star Trek and – at that point, the franchise was getting a little bit um, unwieldy, and I was looking for something even more <laughs> esoteric okay. and uh, <laughs> harder to get into. So, uh, with the TV yeah. movie, it was kind of a <laughs> you know right in the deep end with the wilderness years. But from uh -huh. a book collecting perspective, that helped me quite a bit because that was all you know there was at the time was the Doctor Who books. So. I do have that kind of collector gene in me, and you know when it was uh, when I became a Doctor Who fan, I started getting all the uh, Virgin books at the time, and then there was a bit of a pause as BBC took up the license before they started yep. publishing. So I was fortunate in that I was able to like get most of my Doctor Who books at stores like Walden Books and B Dalton and Media Play briefly when that was a thing. Uh, so I okay. was able to pay cover price for them and now it would be a much more difficult undertaking because some of them have gone oh, up yeah quite a bit yep most definitely in fact every once in a while i think about uh getting one of the the like the new adventure books that just to reread and every time i go on ebay or go to try to find them they're always a lot more expensive than what i want to pay for them mm -hmm. yeah it's kind of unfortunate that the bbc hasn't reprinted more of them i, I know they've done a handful of them, you know, th when they would have would have like special history collections, or mm -hmm. I think for the fiftieth they did a, a reprint run, and 
the the upside to that is that when they do that, we tend to get um, new audiobook versions of those, which you know, the, when they were originally published, they were, there wasn't really any audiobooks yeah. of of those. And depending on how busy I am in a particular month, sometimes listening to the book is easier than or find than you know finding time to read it. So, uh-huh. um, yeah, it's interesting because like pocketbooks with Star Trek, they've you know reprinted or I shouldn't say reprinted, but they've made available digitally for purchase pretty much their entire ranges. Yeah. Whereas, you know, the BBC hasn't uh, taken that step. And I wonder if some of that has to do with like author ownership, because sometimes you'll see individual authors like put up their, um, you know, digital versions of their, their novels. Mm-hmm. Like I think Kate Orman's done a few of those and some other folks. Yeah. But um, yeah, unfortunately with the Doctor Who books, it's not super consistent in that regard. Yeah, I, I'm I'm willing to bet you're probably right on that, and in the fact that over over in the UK it seems like the rights are totally different than what they are here in the states, and I I'm almost be willing to bet that when uh, an author writes a book for a publisher, they the rewrite the rights revert back to them fairly quickly or fairly easily, and so for them to reprint it, it would probably have to be contacting the author and buying the book again to to reprint. Mm, yeah. And I'm sure it just gets more complicated the farther we get away from when they were originally published, too. Yeah. So, yeah. You know. um, do you have a particular range that you're fond of as, as far as like reading the books? Have you had a chance to go through and read them all? I have not read them all. So that that was one of the other reasons I got involved with in the podcast is that it's a great motivator to <laughs> actually read the books that have been sitting on my shelves all these years. Uh-huh. So um, I've probably read about 25% of the books in total. Okay. Um, but yeah, certainly not the majority of them. And uh, a lot of the books I only had listened to the synopses of from the original book club podcast too. So um, it's always great to pick up something off the shelf and read it for the first time. And um, my co-host Chris tends, he's I think read more of the books than I have. So uh, I kind of bring that fresh you know, reading it for uh-huh. the first time experience to the to the show too. Sure. So, how long have you been a Doctor Who fan? Was, was it before the TV movie when you started getting the books, or or just right around that time? Right around the time of the TV movie, I think the the first Doctor Who book I purchased uh, nonfiction was one of the Peter Haining uh, time travel guide books. Okay, um, and I bought that in the weeks leading up to the TV movie. Uh, just so I could kind of get some background on the show before I sat down to watch that. And then the first uh, Doctor Who novel that I had purchased was, I think it was uh, John Peel's Evolution, which okay. uh, was kind of a, it's a doc, fourth Doctor and Sarah Jane meet uh, Arthur Conan Doyle. So it was kind of a take on a celebrity historical Hound of the, Hound of the Baskervilles type uh, situation. But before sure. that, I can probably count on one hand my experiences with Doctor Who and that involves encountering the pinball machine at like a local bowling alley um, catching a few broadcasts on PBS back in the day I think I tuned in for the recap of Trial of a Time Lord part 13 and realized it was a little out of my depth and then I remember uh, I have vague memories of like uh, bees chasing Sylvester McCoy which I later tracked down to uh, 
uh, Delta and the Bannerman. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, those were prior to the TV movie. That was all of that I had experienced of Doctor Who. And then after the TV movie aired, I ended up because uh, it was off. Uh, our local PBS station wasn't broadcasting it at the time, sure. so I had to uh, turn to uh, purchasing the VHSs. So it was a very kind of scattershot. You know, I, I've never actually sat down and watched the entire classic series in order. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a little bit hit or miss there in terms yeah. of pre-96 and, and my involvement in Doctor Who. Yeah, but I, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I, uh, I, I do attend, uh, there's like a monthly Doctor Who tavern and kind of a small but dedicated local group of fans in the Twin Cities that, uh, you know, go to that. And I uh, quite often hear from them talk of uh the armory and the proms so i uh looked those up in red white and who which is on my shelf here uh-huh. and uh yeah peter davison visited in may of 85 at the prom in saint paul which is now torn down and used to be on uh, university avenue and then okay. um in october of 86 at the minneapolis armory the doctor who uh, usa bus tour came through with colin baker and patrick troughton so I often hear about about those, but um, yeah, my first kind of organized Doctor Who fandom experience was attending uh, Chicago TARDIS in 2001, where I got to meet uh, Nicholas Courtney, oh, okay. which, which was nice. And then uh, I think you and I have attended a few of the same Gallifreys. I listened to um, your latest episode with Arnold Bloomberg, uh-huh. and uh, I think we were both at the – my first Gallifrey was in 2004, uh, the – Paul McGann and Sylvester McCoy yep. one. Uh-huh. So I think we were both at the, at that same convention. So yeah, it, uh, we would have been at that one at the same time, and also uh, the Chicago TARDIS that you were at in uh, was it did you say two thousand one? Yep. Yeah, I was I was there as well. So oh wow, in fact, I, I remember buying Nicholas Courtney a drink in the bar. Nice. <laughs> so, but yeah, my my fandom. Uh, the first Doctor Who convention I went to was a Visions convention down in Chicago back in 1993 uh, for the 30th anniversary. They had a, a huge lineup of guests, and I went uh, specifically because I was a huge Doctor Who fan then, and I just wanted the chance to meet all these actors and actresses that I had seen on TV. And I went to Visions for 93, 94, and 95. Um, and then I... Uh, was living down in Des Moines, Iowa at the time. And I started doing kind of more local, uh, Iowa fan conventions there. And, uh, I did come up to the twin cities from time to time. And I went to the, the first convergence convention, mm-hmm. which I think was in 99 with Gary Russell. Yep. Yep. With Gary Russell. That's where I met Gary who, uh, uh my next episode, uh, or actually by the time this interview comes out, it'll be my, a most recent episode had Gary Russell on. Uh, mm. I still keep in touch with Gary, but uh, I came up for Convergence for I think about three years in a row because uh, the first year Gary Russell was here, and then the second one Keith Topping was the Doctor Who guest, mm-hmm. and uh, the third year Michael Sheard was one of the guests. That's right. Yep. 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 So I came uh, here for those. Um, yeah, kind of. I've kind of dropped out of fandom as far as going to conventions. I just. Kind of real life kind of got in the way. I became a responsible adult at long last and got a wife and kids and family. And um, I'm trying to get back into doing more conventions, especially living up here in the Twin Cities. Um, you know, I, I want to start going to, to 
and attend more conventions and try to make the the monthly tavern uh, uh, here in in Minneapolis. Yeah, we have a fantastic local convention uh, console room that's now in its uh, gosh tenth year, eleventh uh-huh. year, and we had uh, Colin Baker one of the years for that, and that was a lot of fun. And we've had Sophie Aldred and um, Deborah Watling before she passed away, and a lot of uh, different fun guests for that. And that's kind of a fun s- smaller one. I think the attendance mm-hmm. is more in the kind of 500 person range, which allows okay. for a lot more, you know, one-on-one interaction and stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we were probably, I've been to every convergence uh, since its inception. So we've, yeah, that's funny. We've Our, been to at least five <laughs> conventions. Uh-huh. At, yep. Our paths have crossed just yeah. not where we didn't know or where we didn't know each other. Um, um, so do you, uh, when you go to the conventions, do you go as podcast host or just as fa- Doctor Who sci-fi fan? Uh, well, I've been going to conventions since 91 um, or so, but Convergence was my first ever like fan-run convention, which I very much prefer that experience mm-hmm. to like, um, you know, Creation Entertainment or some of the other, yeah. you know, for-profit conventions. Yep. Um, but yeah, I only started hosting the podcast in 2017. So, uh, very much just kind of go with my fan hat on, (laughs) although I was, uh, I think in 2019, I was on a panel at Gallifrey that was like a podcasting panel and that, that was a lot of fun. And I suppose like if I ever make it back to Gallifrey and my co-host shows up, we'll have some sort of get together or something because, uh, he and I have never actually met in person. (laughs) Yeah. Despite having hosted the show for uh, five years together. So, uh-huh. uh, although uh, my husband has met him, um, they met uh, a couple years ago when uh, my husband's a teacher and we had, he had okay. a bunch of kids over there on a school trip. Oh, yeah. And they were, they were, the hotel they were staying at wasn't too far from where Chris lives. So they met up at the hotel bar uh, uh-huh. just to have a drink and catch up. So that's. It's kind of funny that he's met him and I haven't. So that is funny. <laughs> so, well, I, you know, I, I really enjoy your podcast, and I was wondering, uh, what do you enjoy most about podcasting? Um, I think it's a one of. I think it's for me, it's an extension of the convention experience throughout the rest of the year. One of the things I'm most excited about when I go to conventions are the fan discussion panels. So mm-hmm. I tend to gravitate towards podcasts that have a range of folks like, you know, like the Radio Free Scarrow or um, Verity podcasts sure. um, and some other ones too, but podcasts that really kind of replicate that experience of like, oh, it's it's my time for my weekly panel with with these folks sort of thing. And, and that's what really yeah. draws me to uh, podcasting in general is just, you know, keeping those discuss- discussions going throughout the year. Um, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think for me, the well, the reason I started my podcast um, was that I I felt there was a niche in the. I wanted to to get into podcasting because I found it really interesting as a, a medium for fans to get together, uh, whether it be you know myself just putting something out there for other people to listen to and and possibly give me feedback on to you know chatting via social media after an episode. Uh, comes out, and it also I felt it was a, an excellent way 
to with with my interviews I do, especially with you know people who have created Doctor Who comics over the years, to get something on record from all these different people about how they got into their their field or their industry and how they got into being a Doctor Who fan and and stuff like that. Mm. Um, but now I I I very much agree with you in that it's it's nice being able to to have do stuff more on kind of the fan side of things. Um, I, I'm much more of a, of a person who going to conventions gravitates towards the, the small group fanish type stuff, as opposed to the, the creation type getting autographs and photographs and stuff. Um, I was the exact opposite when I was much younger, but yeah. it's, it, uh, I, that the interaction and the being able to, chat with people about things that you're really interested in. And like in my case, doing the podcast that combines my two interests of Dr. Who and comic books into one thing was like a win-win situation for me. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, in terms of comic books, just generally outside of Dr. Who, um, my sweet spot, I would say is probably uh, crisis on infinite earths from 1985 sure. through uh-huh. the death of Superman in 1992, those seven years okay. kind of on the DC side is, is where I tend to live when it comes to uh, uh, comic books. Um, sure. Unfortunately, I didn't, wasn't able to collect them that, you know, growing up And my first exposure to comics was probably the pack-ins um, from uh, the superpowers line with Kenner. Oh, sure. And then yep. the, the uh, comics. Mm-hmm. And then the He-Man mini comics from Mattel, yep. which those had some fantastic art from Alfredo Alcala in uh, in them. And then, uh-huh. uh, yeah, just kind of sporadic from there. I think the first comic book I ever purchased was from a drugstore in Northeast Minneapolis in March of 85, and it was issue 14 of the V comic book. <laughs> Oh really? <laughs> yeah. So uh and then after that I think my second comic was uh Power of the Atom number 4 from uh 1988 uh-huh. which had Hawkman and Hawkgirl on the cover. Yep. I but, remember uh, that cover surprisingly enough. Huh. <laughs> Funny. <laughs> but yeah, um I think my the first Doctor Who comic I purchased was probably uh the Virgin reprint of Mark of Mandragora in kind of graphic novel form. Oh, okay. Um, and I picked that up at the Starlog store at the Mall of America. What a place that was. <laughs> uh, I th- I spent a lot of money that day at that store. I, I also picked up, I think, the Titan script books for uh, Masters of Luxor and Power of the Daleks and Ghostlight, along with a uh, Daypole TARDIS and Seventh Doctor and Ace figures. Oh, wow. So I, I think I cleaned them out of <laughs> their Doctor Who merchandise <laughs> when, I, when I visited there. Uh-huh. Um, and then I, if I had to, and I very much kind of skew more towards the DC side, but I've started getting into more Marvel stuff, but of, of everything that I've read, I think my favorite, um, non-Doctor Who comic would have to be, uh, Kurt, is it Busick or Busiek? Uh, his four, his four issue, uh, Superman secret identity identity series from 2004 love that series that was an awesome series yeah just it felt like the ultimate in childhood wish fulfillment for me yeah (laughs) as i was reading that it was just it was so good yeah the the artwork by Stuart eminent was amazing in it it just that was 
uh, I ran a comic book store down in Des Moines, Iowa for 14 years. And that was one of the, the books that I would uh, suggest to sell to people on a, a constant basis. That was it's just the, the, the premise of the story I thought was just a, a really neat premise and uh the the whole direction that, that Boussiak takes with that story I it's just it's all it's so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, how how do you you've you've read some Doctor Who comics. How how well do you think Doctor Who uh translates from T V to comic book form? I think it does it fairly well and it allows for you know much more expansive you know you have characters like frobisher that just simply wouldn't work um on the tv series yeah um you know they tried it with chameleon and (laughs) yeah (laughs) we we all know how that turned out but Uh um yeah the imagination and the scope is is just so much broader i think the downside and this is more so with the more recent stuff especially um the the titan comics is Mm -hmm. that i i tend to find that they really go for a lot of crossovers and almost unnecessarily and for me like uh like a multi-doctor story should be like a special event that happens you know once in a great while and i I feel like they go to that well a little too frequently yeah for my my taste but oh i totally agree with you on that uh yeah i'm i'm totally uh i think that you know a multi-doctor story should be a special event. It should be something that, you know, uh, doesn't happen very often, you know, if at ever, but Titan, it seems like the, the marketing people of Titan are, we're not sure how well people are responding to, uh, Jody Whitaker doctor, but we know everybody likes David Tennant doctor. So if we take and put the two together into a story, maybe we'll sell more comics that way. And I think, they they've done it twice now, which leads me to think the first time that they did it, sales went up on the book, and they're like, okay, let's do, let's carry it on, let's keep on going because it's selling the book. But it's 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 a shame because I think uh, the the 13th Doctor definitely can stand on her own as a as the lead in a story, and I think Jody Hauser, who's been writing the Doctor Who comic for quite some time now, has the writing chops to tell a really good story. And, you know, focusing on the 13th Doctor and not having to have another Doctor thrown in for good measure. And I'm hoping that as things kind of continue on with Titan, um, that they'll they'll get back to a single Doctor once again. And I think there's, especially in the Jodie Whittaker era, there's a few different places where you can fit in quite a few stories, you know, just with say the doctor and Yaz or mm-hmm. the, the doctor, Yaz, Graham and uh, Ryan, or even, you know, in the gaps from the most recent flux season, yeah. there's, there seems to be a lot of uh, potential there. And I, yeah, I, I just think pairing her up with other doctors, especially the 10th doctor so often just kind of dilutes, you know, the 13th doctor standing on her own. Yeah. And unfortunately like the, um, one of the recent video games did the same thing where it was, you know, not just Jodie Whittaker, but Jodie Whittaker and David Tennant um, in the edge of reality. I think that was uh, uh-huh. the, v- the VR game that they released. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, unfortunately, it's broader than just comics. But overall, I, I definitely think Doctor Who comics, it's it's a great medium. Um, I probably tend to gravitate more towards the books just because – Growing up, I was more focused on reading books as opposed to 
comics or graphic novels, but that was sure. more so just availability. I, I think the the closest thing we had to a comic book store was like you know Schinders, which was a local um, chain okay. of, of like comics and magazines that's now out of business. Yeah. Um, but I, I try to go to like the source every so often and some other local uh, shops in the Twin Cities. Just, uh-huh. I just I just like the experience, really, going in there and just, you know, smelling the comic. Yeah. There's something about a comic book store that, you know, has that, or even a used bookstore that has that distinctive smell that's just, uh, uh, it, it feels very welcoming and, you know, like, like yeah. you're at home sort of deal. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I haven't been to the source for a while. Uh, down here in Burnsville, we have Mind's Eye Comics that I go to on a regular basis, and that's where I get all my stuff from. But I, I totally agree with you that going to a comic shop, whether you're a comic book fan or not, is, is a neat experience just because the thing you can pretty much guarantee about a comic book shop is is that there's plenty of stuff to look at. Um, all the different books that you see are going to have really interesting covers. And uh, when I ran a comic book shop, I used to have customers that would come in and have no idea what to to buy or what to purchase, what to what's good, what's not good. And like I tell anybody else, it's like when you go into a comic book shop, you might have if you go into there, you have a passing knowledge for the most part of superheroes, and you know which superheroes you like and which ones you don't. Um, you know, find the section that has a superhero that you like. Find a comic that has an interesting cover. And uh, if it catches your eye, pick it up, read the first two or three pages. And if you find it, if it has a hook for you that catches you, you know, pick it up and buy it, take it home and read it. You'll be uh, most of the time when when you do something like that, as far as trying to get into a comic that nine times out of 10, you're, you're going to want to continue on reading that that series or that from that issue to the next one to find out what happens. Mm hmm. And I think that same advice applies, like, if people ask, you know, how do I get into Doctor Who books, or where do I start with Big Finish on the audio adventures? And it's like, well, start with something you like, you know, a, yeah. a Doctor Companion combination, or, a you know, a, a combo that you wish you had gotten more stories from, you know, on the TV series, and yeah. and dig in from there, because it's, uh, there's just so many different stories that you, that are out there to experience. And it's, it's great too, like seeing like how um, like the most recent season of flux, how there were, you know, some elements that seem to have come from like the Virgin new adventures or from some of the graphic novels in the eighties, especially like Carvanista felt like, you know, a character out of uh, the iron Legion or something. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. And uh, you know, talking about how there's, so big finish audios and books how there's so much to choose from uh back when i was you know first starting into doctor who back in the late 80s and early 90s we were they had just started the virgin new adventures so you would get a book every every month um but outside of that there wasn't all that much outside of doctor who magazine and now you know years later down the road there's so much to choose from it's hard to to find a good spot to jump in. And, and you're totally right when it comes to pick a doctor and a companion, that a combination that you like and find a book or find an audio, find a comic that, that has those characters in it and, and give it a try. Um, big, big finish when they first started doing doctor who audios. Um, I was a monthly subscriber to, to the audio releases, but there, now there's just so much that they come out with. They have such a, a, a range of, of audios, 
it's hard to keep up with them all. And I've reached a point with Big Finish where I just kind of pick. Uh, I'm a big Paul McGann fan, so I, I kind of keep up on the Ace Doctor audios. But the other ones are just kind of, if it sounds interesting to me, I'll pick it up. But otherwise, I just kind of, I don't have time anymore. Yeah, I, for Big Finish, I, I was kept up to, up with it through, I think, like, uh, issue, uh, well, issue, uh, their, their 100th release uh, uh-huh. around the same time that uh, Nick Briggs took over as showrunner or executive producer of, of the audios from Gary Russell. Yeah. So I'm, I'm very much... Uh, familiar with Gary Ru- Gary's run on this series, and uh-huh. I forgot to mention earlier when we were talking about Convergence, that was the birthplace of uh, Evelyn Smythe, the uh, yes, Six Doctor companion. Yep. In fact, I was there for that. <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, that was one where uh, yeah, that was a, a good convention we had. All of, uh, Convergence one in that one, the first Convergence, there was a a group of us Doctor Who fans that kind of gravitated together and we all hung out together for the weekend. And, uh, yeah, we just got to know Gary really well. And, and, uh, it, it was big finish. had just kind of started with the Doctor Who stuff. So it was really interesting to hear where things were going. And yeah, we, we had a discussion about what kind of companion we would like to see in the Doctor Who story. And that's where Evelyn came up. We all said, we wanted, we wanted somebody older, Somebody who's wiser than you know has has some some years or some mileage on them where they they have experience and can give the doctor kind of a run for his money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also uh, give him lots of chocolate cake. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the opposite of Mel and her carrot juice. Exactly. <laughs> so, well, uh, yeah, like I said, I, I listen to the all-new Doctor Who Book Club podcast. Uh, every You do monthly episodes usually, and uh, I listen to them when they come out. Like I said, just refresh my memory on a book that I more than likely read back when it came out. And uh, uh, me getting middle-aged years, I've, I've forgotten an awful lot of stuff that I have read. But uh, I enjoy what you and Chris do with the podcast, and I encourage all my listeners, if you have read – Doctor Who novels of any kind, past or present, uh, make sure you check out the Doctor Who Book Club podcast. Uh, it, it's it's fun to listen to, and you can learn an awful lot. And you don't have to read well, – first of all, thank you for, for the kind words. And I would also say you don't have to read the book necessarily because we try to recap and kind of do like a Cliff Notes version uh, mm-hmm. to in, in case folks don't want to read along with us. But if you do, uh, we also try to pick books that are – relatively accessible um keeping in mind that a lot of them are out of print and our very next episode is going to feature uh the world shapers which oh, is awesome. a, the second collection of uh stories with colin baker because we had reviewed voyager i think a couple years ago so we wanted to mm-hmm. close out that chapter of frobisher's adventures and uh although i suppose we would still have the age of chaos too um yeah, so, in fact, which that published was, later, but yeah. Yep, yep. In fact, uh, that one just came out as a graphic novel uh, last year as a new cleaned-up artwork and uh, uh, director's notes in the back of the book. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, from Panini. Yep, from Panini. So, uh, hey, I'll put that one on your list. I'm, I'm sure you have a big, long checklist and that you're working your way through. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and we don't we don't tell each other what we pick either, so it's always a little surprise <laughs> uh-huh. when we get to the end of the episode. But 
thank you so much. This has been wonderful to to chat and catch up and just kind of reminisce about Twin Cities fandom and Doctor Who and kind of our the overlap of our areas and uh, really have enjoyed talking with you and I appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks, Matt. Uh, the feeling is mutual. And considering that you and I live really close to each other or fairly close to each other, uh, chances are we're going to run each other face-to-face at some point in time compared to a lot of the people that I chat with on my podcast. So uh, thank you for joining me and uh, continued uh, good work on your podcast. Thank you. And I enjoy listening to yours as well. Many thanks to Matt Savilkul for taking time out of his schedule to chat with me about Doctor Who comic strips, Doctor Who books, um, and just Doctor Who in general. Doctor Who fandom here in uh, Minnesota. I'm still kind of new. Granted, I've only lived here, you know, five or six years. Uh, I still haven't had a chance to really go out and get in touch with other Doctor Who um, fans here in Minnesota. But I hope to in the near future. So this was a, kind of an intro way of me doing this. So Matt, thanks for chatting with me. I hope all of you listening out there enjoyed the interview with Matt. And I hope you enjoyed this episode of Doctor Who Panel to Panel. I look forward to bringing you another episode in about another month or so. So until then, this is Jeremy Bement saying bye. Doctor Who Panel to Panel, the podcast about Doctor Who comics, thanks you for downloading this episode. Let us know what you thought about this episode or of Doctor Who comics in general. You can find us socially on Facebook at Doctor Who Panel to Panel, on Twitter at Doctor Who P2P, 2 being the number 2, and online at DoctorWhoComics.com. Download previous episodes via your favorite podcast service and find the complete catalog of episodes featuring amazing interviews with creators past and present at archive.org. Just search for Doctor Who Panel to Panel. Thank you.